The Truth News Network. One man can change the world. It's done every day. Kepler, Copernicus, Ptolemy, Lister, they all change the world. Interesting that these are scientists. And the hallmark of science is skepticism and a relentless pursuit of truth. Starting to see a picture? Good. And here to clarify that picture for you from TNN, the Truth News Network, Dan Newman. Let me ask you this, going into today's show, hump day. How many lies have you documented that have come from the current mainstream media? How many of those lies that you hear are the actual media interpretations of the specific statements of, oh, say, the President of the United States or people in his administration or members of Congress? Those are three questions that every American needs to answer almost every day. It's almost like you got to have a, um, a thermometer, a truth phenometer or barometer or whatever you want to call it, and uh, hold it up in front of your television, your radio, every time a politician speaks, and it shows exactly what's true and what is not true. And I guarantee your thermometer, your truth barometer, whatever you want to call it, would wear out, at least on the lie side, of the registry because, folks, we are inundated nonstop, continuous drivel that is nothing more than partisan thuggery, attempts to get us to think one way or another way, and they demand that we do it. Why? Just simply because who they are, not about what they're saying, not about what they're representing, but just what they tell us to believe We're supposed to swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Guess what? You're smarter than that. We're smarter than that. We are looking for the truth, all of us looking for the truth, and we will settle for nothing but the truth. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being a part of this family. We're growing, growing very rapidly. A lot of people are finding that it's getting harder and harder, more and more difficult to find places to go to get unfettered information, information that is fettered by partisan spin is everywhere. You can get all of that you want and a whole lot more. But it's getting tougher to find out where the facts are and who are presenting those facts without couching them in some political partisan way. Now, let me first tell you this. There's nothing wrong with having a political opinion. But what is wrong and what we're seeing play out every day is people knowing they're wrong, knowing that they're purveyors of things that aren't truthful, and they still put them out there and they still paint them as facts when they know they're not. That is the evil in all of this. I mean, even the Washington Post, folks, the Washington Post, if not the most liberal newspaper in America, it's in the top two. Uh, Its run for the title would probably be the New York Times. Even the Washington Post is coming out and blasting Virginia governor candidate Terry McAuliffe with their Pinocchio things for what the leftist is saying. So you have a leftist media that has a fact-check machine, which I very seldom trust from the Washington Post 
because typically all of their fact-checking is from a far-left position, which means they're going to fact-check every conservative and discount what every conservative says just simply because it's coming from the mouth of a conservative. Terry McAuliffe, he's anything but conservative. He's one of them. He's one of the far-lefter Washington Post ideologues. And they're fact-checking him, giving him four Pinocchios about some things that he said in his race for the Virginia governorship. So where are we going today here at TNN Live? We're going to start in Virginia in just a moment. But let me tell you where else we're going. You know, there's a an election next Tuesday. We're talking about the Virginia election. Did you know there's one across the river from New York City in New Jersey? Another big election with another big Democrat governor that's one of those power brokers that is under siege by a large conservative conglomerate of New Jersey voters who don't like the top-down government stand by their governor, their current governor, Chris Murphy, who's running for re-election. And then there's another race that is pending as we head toward the midterms, which is November 22, November of next year. In Pennsylvania, Republican U.S. Senator Pat Toomey is resigning, or he's retiring, he's not resigning, he's not going to run for re-election. And there's a big race for his seat, and some very neat developments in that particular race. We're going to get into that, but not until just a little bit later in the show. This morning, let's go to Virginia. You know what's interesting to me? Um, I've been to almost every one of the 50 states. I was just thinking the other day, the ones that I haven't physically been to are Alaska. Let me think now. Let me get it. I haven't been to Joe's home state, Delaware. I can't imagine with all of my interaction going to D.C. and around D.C. I've never been there, but I haven't. Uh, Been to Rhode Island. I've been to everything up in the Northeast. I guess, yeah, here we go. The only state that I have not been to outside of Alaska, you're not going to believe this, is Wisconsin. Never been to Wisconsin. Football fan, love the Green Bay Packers my whole life. Never been to Wisconsin. I've been close. When you fly into O'Hare at Chicago, you're not very far from the uh, Wisconsin border. So Alaska and Wisconsin. I know very little about the state of Virginia. I know that Northern Virginia that sits up and it's actually a suburb of Washington, D.C. I know it. I've been in Virginia. I know how far left it is there. But folks, the state of Virginia and Virginians in large are tired of all of this political thuggery that goes on there every day pounded into their heads by hard-left Democrats that insult Virginians in their mental capacity almost daily. It's like, you Virginians, you're not smart enough to even listen and understand what's being said. And they're experiencing that every day, and a bunch of them are sick and tired of it. So let's go to this Loudoun County thing happening up there that came to light. It was actually an incident that happened last spring in public school. And um, that guy, and I'll say that guy is a 14-year-old 
biological male, self-identified as a woman or as a girl, goes to a high school and because of his identity and because of Virginia law, he gets to go use whatever bathroom he chooses. And so, obviously, now I'm not saying every 14-year-old boy would do this, but most would if they had the chance he goes in there and he finds himself in the bathroom one-on-one with a 15-year-old girl. And, you know, it's a slow day at school, and so he says, what the heck, I'll rape her, and he did. The incident was reported to the school administration. The school administration, because of legal requirements, asked to notify local authorities, which they did, and they ran it uphill, upstream, to the school board. And then the parents of the girl obviously kept waiting for something to happen. And nothing did. The school did nothing. The school board did nothing. Now, thankfully, the cops launched an investigation, but they weren't very aggressive in that investigation. And, of course, the school kicked the kid out of school, the one that did the rape. You can't let him be at this school. I mean, after all, look what he allegedly did. So over the summer, he changes schools, and he goes to another high school. And guess what he did at the new high school? the exact same thing to another girl. So this all came to light when and only because of a dad who had had enough, the Loudoun County School Board not doing what was supposed to be done, not doing the right thing, in fact, hiding the criminal activity of a kid that just happened to self-identify as a girl, and it was a 14-year-old boy. Well, guess what happened Monday of this week? A Virginia juvenile court judge ruled that that transgender teen, the boy, was guilty of sexually assaulting a female classmate at Loudoun County High School last school year. Chief Justice Pamela Brooks of the Juvenile and Domestic Relations District Court found there was sufficient evidence to determine the teenager guilty of sexual assault in that case The victim, that 15-year-old girl, testified in court that she engaged in consensual sexual activity with the defendant two other times, and both of those times were in the girl's bathroom at Stonebridge High School. But on the occasion in question, she had been violently intimidated to perform sexual acts. According to the Commonwealth's attorney, the teenagers accused of two separate incidents that happened months apart at different high schools. The teen was wearing an ankle monitor for the prior assault at Stonebridge when he allegedly forced a girl into an empty classroom and groped her at the new school. So you've seen the story of what happened. That father of the first girl, he went nuts at a school board, the alleged assault. Scott Smith is his name. And he said his daughter had been sexually assaulted in late May while she was in the bathroom at Stonebridge. The attack was committed by that teenage boy who entered the girl's bathroom wearing a skirt. So Smith grew really angry. Go figure, a dad whose daughter was raped. He grew visibly angry, the news report said, at a Loudoun County Public School Board meeting on June 22nd when no one acknowledged his daughter's sexual assault. He also voiced his concerns over students using bathrooms that correspond with their chosen gender identity, which, by the way, 
is a Virginia law. He said the controversial policies being pushed by the school board factored into the attack against his daughter, and he was arrested for disorderly conduct. If someone would have sat and listened for 30 seconds to what Scott had had to say, they would have been mortified and heartbroken. That's what his attorney, Elizabeth Lancaster, said. Smith, by the way, has filed a civil lawsuit against the school board. And so, guess what else comes out? Superintendent Scott Ziegler of that school board told the school board about the first incident on May 28th. He actually reported it. But it was hidden from the public for months and months and months. He sent the school board members each an email. Here's what the email said. The purpose of this email is to provide you with information regarding an incident that occurred at Stonebridge High School this afternoon. So he sent this the day of the attack. This afternoon, a female student alleged that a male student sexually assaulted her in the restroom. The school officer is investigating the matter, Ziegler wrote. That same student is then accused of committing a second sex act against a girl on October 6th this school season at a different school. Now, Ziegler did say at a June 22nd school board meeting there was no record of any sexual assaults in the bathroom. He said that on June 22nd, even though his May 28th email reveals that he and every member of the board was aware of the incident prior to the summer meeting when parents first raised serious concerns about allowing students to use which restroom correlate with their chosen gender identities. Several parents said the policy would endanger kids' safety. And in response, school board members Beth Mar- Bartz, who, by the way, has since resigned, asked Zidler if there were any sexual assaults occurring regularly. <laughs> That's an interesting term to throw in that question sexual assaults occurring regularly in school bathrooms. One would be uh, one too many, I would think. The predator transgender student or person simply does not exist. That's what the superintendent, that's how he answered Beth Bart's question. We don't have any record of assault occurring in our restrooms, which was a lie. Ziegler later apologized for his, his word misleading claim, telling reporters he thought the question was in reference to assault specifically involving transgender identity kids. If that's what he really thought, his response would have been, we don't have any record of assault by or involving transgender identity kids. No. He answered it, there were no sexual assaults occurring in our restrooms, which was a lie. First, he said, let me say to the families and students involved, my heart aches for you. And I'm sorry that we failed to provide the safe, welcoming, and affirming environment that we aspire to provide. We acknowledge and share your pain, and we will continue to offer you support to help your families through this trauma. And I'll just add the caveat, the very obvious one, we're doing all of this because you know, we had to be politically correct. And, you know, the the uh, state Senate and the House, they passed this gender identity thing and put it out there. So we want to comply 
And we don't know how to do that when something that's opposite of what they put in legislation and was signed into law. And we don't want to make the legislators and the governor look bad. So we lied. That's exactly what happened. And so all of this, as you can imagine, it just flows downstream. And downstream from a school board and parents is what? The students. So, of course, students today, thankfully, are becoming more attuned to what's happening in their lives around them that directly and indirectly impact them. So students in Loudoun County, Virginia, staged a walkout yesterday in protest of these recent sexual assault cases at the public and in the public school system, and they walked out to show solidarity with the victims. Students who choose to participate will not be penalized for their participation. However, we do ask that students who participate do so peacefully, without signage, and in accordance with the students' rights and responsibility we all reviewed and signed at the beginning of the year. That was Michelle Luttrell, the principal at Loudoun County High School. Students at Stonebridge, at Broad Run, and Riverside, and other schools said they would participate in the walkout yesterday, and they planned to leave class for 10 minutes in protest. Organizers asked students and teachers to wear white and make protest signs, according to one TV station. About 75 students walked out at Broad Run High School. The mass widespread walkouts across the county did not come to fruition. The Broad Run walkout came hours ahead of what is expected to be a contentious Loudoun County School Board meeting. And so that's going on. So what else do Virginians think about it? Well, a member of the Black Virginians for Glenn Youngkin, who is the Republican candidate running against Terry McAuliffe, she said why she believes members of her group are supporting the Republican candidate in the gubernatorial race. She said what he's conveying most to me is maybe the simple things that we really want. Her name is Linda Gross. It's to make Virginia the best place to live, she said, the best place to work, the best place to raise a family. And in talking with Yunkin, the candidate, she said, you never feel like there's a difference between black and white, privileged and underprivileged, and it might be utopic to think that that's not something that's possible. A poll in Suffolk County released Tuesday, yesterday, showed the race for governor between Yunkin and Democrat Terry McAuliffe remained very close. The polls showed the candidates tied at roughly 45% each with 5% of votes. They say they are still undecided. This woman said economics was another motivating factor behind the coalition's support for Yunkin. I think it's all about economics, she said. The cost of living is at a point where people who are leaving because they're looking for somewhere that doesn't cost quite as much as Virginia. She feels Yunkin wants to put more money into people's pockets, not that we are taking more money away from them. Gross also said she liked that Yunkin was faith-based in his decisions. And this has become the epicenter. Loudoun County, Virginia, has become the epicenter of what's going on in Virginia. And so um, 
Some other people got really loud yesterday. Furious parents and other conservatives have uh, sent a message to former President Barack Obama that he needs to apologize to that Loudoun County couple and their daughter who was raped in that school bathroom in May after the former president called the whole incident fake outrage and a phony trumped-up culture war. Now, we told you that judge ruled that the boy actually did break the law and did commit sexual assault on that girl. Now, the county school board, the Loudoun County School Board, hadn't even commented on the verdict in that case. So Republican gubernatorial candidate Glenn Youngkin has harnessed part of his education platform in the case, and here's what he said, what tragedy next awaits our children? This past weekend on Sunday, Obama was out campaigning for Terry McAuliffe, former two-time governor of Virginia, a in-the-tank Democrat operative for decades. He was all up into both Clinton administrations, Then he ran for governor and won and served two turns. He was term limited out. Now he wants back in. And um, so he calls in the heavyweights, Barack Obama. And, of course, Joe Biden's been there twice. So McAuliffe said in part, we don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars, this fake outrage that the right-wing media peddles to juice their ratings The fact he's willing to go along with it, he's talking about his opponent, Youngkin. Instead, if talk about serious problems that affect serious people, that's a shame. That's not what this election is about. That's not what you need, Virginia. We should do more to support people who are educating our kids. That's the former president, Barack Obama. So the heavyweights are coming out. And um, just so you don't forget this, That happens only when they're in deep doo-doo. And don't think for a second that somebody, a university poll that comes out that is not run by a bunch of professionals, don't think that that is the actual result of what Virginia voters are saying. When you see a campaign like McAuliffe's that called in the president of the United States twice and the former president once, They're in trouble and they know it and they're frantic because the state of Virginia, if it goes Republican, they won't know how to respond. Now, I told you about the Washington Post popping McAuliffe with those Pinocchios. Not just for one thing he said, but repeated false statements about the number of coronavirus cases and hospitalizations in the state. Here's what they said. The pandemic will continue to be a serious policy challenge for the next Virginia governor, but there's no reason for McAuliffe to hype the numbers. He earns four Pinocchios. That's from the post-resident fact-checker Glenn Kessler after he outlined each of the examples McAuliffe repeated the false figures. He offers wildly inflated numbers for child hospitalizations, suggesting again that there were daily figures and claiming twice that these many children were in ICUs. Instead, 
he is citing a figure for all of the children hospitalized with COVID-19 in Virginia over the past 19 months, which is still inflated. And in speaking about the threat of the virus in the state, McAuliffe frequently touts numbers, often wrong numbers, about the impact on children. When we first questioned the McAuliffe campaign about his numbers, we were told it was a slip of the tongue. Okay, we understand that, so we passed on a fact check. But then his tongue slipped again and again and again and again and again. Kessler wrote that the Post first became interested in McAuliffe's numbers late last month when he claimed during the debate against Republican businessman Glenn Youngkin there were 8,000 new COVID cases in Virginia the day before. He then repeated the claim the next day and again on October 7th during a radio interview. When we checked the records, you had to go back to January to find a single day when a combination of confirmed and probable cases in Virginia even got close to 8,000. On September 27th, there were fewer than 2,000 confirmed cases. McAuliffe wasn't even close. As the Post noted for the week ending on October 2nd, the number of kids in hospitals, not necessarily in intensive care, was just 35, not 8,000. The bureaucratic establishment and far-left politics, folks, have weaponized once again coronavirus, giving us false information to feed a perspective, a narrative, that if we listen and if we comply with what they want, it's all about getting more power and control over everything in our lives. If you can, in any way, sometime, and we're not going to get into this right now, but I'm going to make a suggestion. And we got one more thing to bring you about McCauley that'll blow your mind. But sometime during the day today, maybe it's tonight after you get to the house and you get dinner done, you've dealt with the kids, and you get a few minutes right before you go to bed. Sit down and grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, whatever your preference is. And just don't turn the TV on. Just sit there for a few minutes and think through. And think through the things, the biggest negative things that maybe haven't happened to you, but they're somewhere out in your world, in your circle, and you're, you're worried about them. It could be economic things. It could be healthcare things. It could be family problems. could be problems with kids. All of those, think about them. And do something that'll just take you a couple of minutes. Get one of those yellow pads if you got one, those legal pads. If not, just get a piece of paper and draw a line from the top to the bottom right down the middle of the page on that pad. And on the left side, put the things that you're really worried about that haven't happened, but you think they possibly could based upon circumstances that you've been told, things that have been predicted. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And then on the right side, put the things that you're actually handling that are factual, all those negative things that are going on in your lives right now. Why do I suggest you do that? It makes it easier to find facts and to make decisions, concrete decisions, when you have made a determination of what the concrete things really are, good and bad. 
that gives you a great starting point. And you can't get to the end of a story without getting to the first part of a story, right? So try that tonight. When we come back, we've got one more thing about McAuliffe, but let me tell you what's up right after Terry McAuliffe. This one's going to blow your mind. You remember the other day we brought you that inside scoop from One American Network? You heard from Dr. Anthony Fauci and others when they were plotting the plan back in before the election in 2020 and even before you first heard the term COVID-19 or coronavirus. They were plotting what needed to happen in the nation and what probably would happen if they could find ways to trick the American population into believing things medically that would allow them to do whatever they want to do. You're going to hear an even grimmer report from One American Network about COVID-19 lies that are still today being perpetrated on the American people, that elsewhere around the world, the results are 180 degrees away from what we have been told by all of the healthcare experts, well, the political healthcare experts from Tony Fauci on down. It's going to blow your mind. That's up next at TNN Live. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. ABC Tonight, it's all about Big Cash. Here we go! And Big Crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me the money! To win it all. The big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Sweep. On your carts! Get set! And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire! It all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. It seems like every summer starts with a song. Maybe it's one we heard on the radio during our morning drive. Or maybe it was playing in the cafe we ducked into for lunch. Wherever they catch us, certain songs seem to take us away. Songs of waves and sand, of forests and hillsides, of growing up and growing old. Songs that get in our heads and make us smile as we hum them to ourselves. Songs of the sun coming up and the ragtop going down, of friends we just met, and the ones we'll have for life. Songs that define the moments, like the ones we find in Michigan, where we take our someday list and start to check things off. A day spent gliding on a sailboat, floating on a pontoon, and climbing over that next hill. A rhythm that takes us somewhere better, somewhere like pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. I wonder if there really is a clown car, an actual clown car of the deep state. You know, you've been to a circus before. 
you see the, the, the one bit that they do where this little bitty car, this clown drives up in this little bitty car, the doors open and they start getting out and there's like 15 clowns that crawl out of this car that really it couldn't even hold four regular sized people. Clown car of the deep state. I like that terminology. There's a bunch of clowns out there and I guess they all drive cars. Hey, Biden was in Virginia again yesterday and it looked like Biden was on a quest that he was told to do specifically. He spent most of his time talking about Donald Trump, not about Terry McAuliffe and his opponent, the Republican Glenn Youngkin. Echoing, Biden did, the Democrats' strategy to insert Trump into the race in Virginia. Biden asked the crowd, how well do you know Terry's opponent? Just remember this, I ran against Donald Trump and Terry is running against an acolyte of Donald Trump, an acolyte. Of course, he was talking about Glenn Youngkin. President spoke at length about that January 6th protest on Capitol Hill, and he, of course, painted a dark picture of the protest with what he said. This is a quote. You can hear him saying it. The anger, the rage, American flags turned into spears, the noose, the gallows, police assaulted and killed, death threats against elected officials and public servants, he shouted, calling the protest a violent assault that interrupted the most sacred act of a democracy. Well, guess what, Joe? You forgot. They were all there, those members of Congress. They were there for that joint session in which they would confirm the electoral votes that happened in the election November 3rd, two months before. You knew that. And there was a temporary pause in that process, but a couple hours later, they did just that. They interrupted the most sacred act of a democracy, he said. In other words, they hurt our feelings and they made us scared. There wasn't a single cop killed. Not one. Death threats against elected officials and public servants. Police killed. No cop was killed. The only person killed there was shot in the back of the neck was a woman, a veteran from San Diego who was there protesting. She should not have been in the Capitol. She was unarmed, wasn't threatening anybody. And a Capitol Hill policeman who was African-American, by the way, from behind her, from behind her over her left shoulder, shot her in the side of her neck blew out an artery and she bled out on the floor. Black cop, white woman. Don't even say the R word as a possibility for his motivation. Forget about the fact that a cop's not supposed to shoot anybody unless his life is in imminent danger. She didn't even know he was there. She was looking and facing the other direction and he came up from behind her and shot her, but he hadn't been prosecuted, even though the coroner said Ashley Babbitt's death. Now, the coroner in Washington, D.C., not a very conservative political structure. I would imagine the coroner, if he has any political perspective, and I'm sure he does because he was hired in D.C. In other words, I'm saying he's probably a Democrat. 
I don't know that. I'm speculating. Just want to make that clear. But nevertheless, the official cause of death was homicide. This guy was actually praised for standing up to this horror. Not one of these people that have come out on that committee, not even one, and there are several Republicans on that committee, not even one had anything negative to say about the burning and the killing and the pillaging that went on all of last year in places like Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis and Washington, D.C., and Rochester, New York, and Atlanta, Georgia, and Manhattan, and Chicago on the Miracle Mile, didn't say anything about it, didn't call it anything but protest. Peaceful protest. They all have the right to protest. So anyway, the president's down there, and uh, he's comparing the gubernatorial candidate, Terry McAuliffe, to Donald Trump instead of Glenn Youngkin, his opponent. They're panicking, and they're so desperate. McAuliffe has spent nearly $100,000 advertising fake news websites on Facebook during his campaign. So here's how it works. The Democrats' advertisements, which have been reviewed up to 3.5 million times so far, They're hidden on a Facebook page that has a similar name to one local news website. The ads link to third-party websites that publish local news, supposedly. But their existence is to promote Democrat candidates. Go figure. The websites have been described widely as disinformation and partisan propaganda. This revelation comes less than a week before Election Day, next Tuesday, and as the candidates fight for every last vote, with polls showing them virtually in a tie. The McAuliffe campaign's ads are sophisticated and opaque. Like most candidates, McAuliffe operates a Facebook page under his own name to promote his own campaign, but he also operates another Facebook page that blurs the lines between a political campaign and disinformation. The page is called The Download Virginia, and it was quietly launched by McAuliffe in June of this year. So while the name on the pages sounds similar to that of a local news organization, the page has not published any post, any photos, and only 67 people have liked the page, a term Facebook uses to describe its followers. Instead, most voters that have encountered the download have done so through paid advertising. And the ads don't appear on the page itself, but can be obtained through a Facebook ad library report, which is a tool used by journalists and researchers. The McAuliffe campaign has spent half a million dollars on ads distributed by this page since June. With several ads running at time of publication, that number is likely to rise before Election Day. And the ads generally contain a comment and a link to a mainstream news article that covers the campaign, the McAuliffe campaign, favorably, obviously. But sprinkled among the links to those legitimate media reports are seven separate ads 
and dozens of variations that promote websites widely considered to be fake news. So in a July ad, as an example, the download writes about McAuliffe's views on small business. The ad includes a link to an article published by a third-party website called the Virginia Dogwood, not the download, but Dogwood. And the Dogwood presents itself as a local news website with daily articles about local issues in Virginia, dedicated sections for key topics, and a newsletter to give Virginians all the news you need. The Dogwood says on a page describing its publication that it delivers credible, fact-based reporting. Now, the website says it's owned and operated by Courier Newsroom, which, according to the Dogwood, is a civic media company. You get all this? They create these layers of disinformation so most people either can't or don't want to even dig down to find what's at the root of all of this. But Courier Newsroom was founded and initially funded by the liberal dark money group Acronym. Now let me tell you about Acronym. According to the Wall Street Journal, backers of Acronym include George Soros as well as LinkedIn co-founder Reed Hoffman and a big group of Hollywood movie producers. Axios, not a conservative outlet. Axios reported yesterday that the newsroom has since been acquired by influential Democrat Tara McGowan's Good Information Project, which is backed by George Soros and LinkedIn co-founder Reed Hoffman. The Dogwood says the editor-in-chief of Courier Newsroom, as well as its own managing editor, have control over the entire electoral process. I'm not even going to go anymore. it, It even gets deeper, folks. Dark money. Money, money, money. The love of money, the root of all evil. Now it's not money itself. Using money to grab power and control in the world of politics in the U.S. That's what it's all about. Two more big elections happening. New Jersey Republicans. Yeah, Governor Phil Murphy running for re-election. And so there's a big controversy over there, and it has to do with vaccine mandates. So yesterday, New Jersey Republicans went to, I mean, they went squalling, demanding that Phil Murphy tell them about his stance on COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Because he's always maintained, oh, I'm not going to get in the weeds with any of this. We're just not, we're just going to, we're, we're New Jerseyans. We're going to take care of our business and do the right things. He will never answer yes or no about pending vaccine mandates. Well, it's leaked out that he is going to label everybody required to wear a mask and to assimilate in public, you got to be vaccinated. A video shows up, a disturbing video. It appears to confirm the Murphy campaign has been hinting at, and the New Jersey GOP has been warning about throughout the summer that a second Murphy term is going to bring about the same type of vaccine passport seen in de Blasio's New York right across the river. The video was released Monday by guess who? Project Veritas. 
And the video shows Wendy Martinez, an apparent senior advisor to Murphy, telling an undercover journalist that Murphy is indeed going to put into effect vaccine mandates if he gets another term. She was also filmed saying this policy was kept secret. Why? Fears that Murphy could lose independence and undecided voters because they are into all that SHIT. He will, but right now he's got to win first. That's New Jersey. The other big election, Pennsylvania Senate candidate Sands. Have you heard the name? Sands? Carla Sands? She's a GOP Senate candidate. She is running for the retiring Pat Toomey, Republican, longtime Republican U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania. Sands was an advisor to former President Trump on his Economic Advisory Council. Later, she became the ambassador to Denmark. She's always been a big donor to Republican candidates. Now, she's running for the Senate, and according to Federal Election Commission records, she's already put $3.1 million of her own money into her own campaign. Three and a half million total receipts, so she's put in three point one million. Now, what does that tell people? That first of all, she's wealthy, obviously very wealthy. She wants the job, and she wants it so much that she's willing to put over over three point one million, and has only received roughly four hundred thousand dollars in campaign contributions from others. Here's what she said: For years, she've donated her money to help Republican candidates only to watch them cave when things get tough. Quote, I've had it with weak politicians and their sorry excuses. And she's talking about in that ad, she pops up a picture of Liz Cheney, Republican from Wyoming, Mitt Romney, Republican from Utah. She said, I approve this message because I can't be bought and I won't back down. That ad is part of a seven-figure ad spending campaign by Sands on cable television and digital platforms. I, I got a lot of respect for somebody that instead of walking around and begging for other people's money, which is it's part of the process, and I'm not denigrating people for doing it, but it's got to be humiliating. I really I want to serve you, and to serve you, I need you to pay for, you know, my campaign so I can get elected. I've told you the story before about me. I will never run for office because if I did, I would have to do just that. And I'm not too proud to go ask somebody to help me do something I want to do, especially when it would come to service. But I would always feel obligated to those that wrote me checks and feel like I was obligated in a bunch of different ways, and maybe they wouldn't even feel that I was obligated, but maybe they would. Maybe they would expect something for that campaign contribution. All of those unknowns make me very, very uncomfortable, and I just couldn't do it. So what about that thing I told you, that other big news in COVID-19? Well, it's the same reporter, investigative reporter for One America News Network, And he busted the world yesterday with some more news. Remember a couple of days ago, I think on Monday it was, we had a report from One America News that was released late Sunday evening regarding a actual plan, preparations, 
with details of how to force Americans to receive forced vaccinations without even being known that they're forced. An exhaustive plan put in place by Anthony Fauci, gone public on C-SPAN back in October of 2019, talking about, without saying it, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 at the time, but talking about what it would take to trick Americans into just benignly accepting mass vaccinations for some amped-up influenza. Those were the terms they used. That was a blockbuster, and it's gone viral all over the nation, everywhere except uh, mainstream media. Ah, They're not going to talk about it. They don't want anybody to know that they've been hoodwinked. We've been hoodwinked by those so-called experts in big pharma and national health care. Big Pharma, remember that, Big Pharma. Who is that? All of the big heavyweight drug companies that are all on taxpayer dollars, 100% all taxpayer money, making billions of dollars in the last year because your government, you, are paying for every vaccine that is sold by Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer. Every one. We have such big hearts Our government is so giving and concerned about the people of the world. We have bought billions, billions of doses of vaccine from Pfizer that we, because of those big hearts and our care for all citizens of the world, we've given away to these governments overseas to vax their people. And we're supposed to be respectful and thankful to our government More news comes out. Statistical data and information about that backwoods horse drug, ivermectin. Here again, One America Network. While the mainstream media condemns the use of ivermectin, the most populated state in India just declared they are officially COVID-free after promoting widespread use of the safe, proven medicine. Here's one America's Pearson Sharp. Ivermectin is getting a pretty bad rap here in the United States, all over the Western world, really. And to be fair, that's probably for a good reason. I mean, it was developed in the 80s specifically for humans and was later found to be effective for treating animals as well, has been used safely for decades, has no known drug interactions, revolutionized healthcare in Africa and has saved millions of lives, won a Nobel Prize for its success treating humans in 2015, and is on the WHO's list of the safest, most effective medicines in the entire world. But sure, just repeat the leftist talking point, it's horse dewormer. The problem, as we've discussed, is that ivermectin is cheap and widely available, and it won't make Pfizer or Moderna $60 billion a year like selling the investigational vaccine will. But is there any evidence that it actually works to treat the coronavirus? Actually, yes, quite a lot, in fact. In India, in the state of Uttar Pradesh, which has a population of 240 million people, the government has been widely promoting the use of ivermectin to treat Wuhan virus patients. And instead of headlines reporting thousands and millions of deaths from deadly horse medicine, state leaders have just declared that Uttar Pradesh is now officially COVID-free. 
a region with nearly as many people as the entire United States is totally COVID-free. And the recovery rate in India, which no one in America seems to be talking about either, is 98.7%. So let's compare for a moment because we might be able to make an important discovery here for public health. In India's state of Uttar Pradesh, just 5.8% of the population are fully vaccinated. In the United States, nearly 60% of Americans are fully vaccinated. In India's state, the rate of COVID positivity is 0.01%. In the United States, it's 7.6%. In India, they have 199 active COVID cases. In the US, we have nearly 130,000 new cases as of September 30th, and an average of more than 112,000 cases in just the last seven days. And in India, they're widely promoting the use of ivermectin to treat the China virus. In the United States, doctors will lose their medical license if they prescribe ivermectin, and our top so-called medical professionals dismiss the drug as nothing more than dewormer for barnyard animals. Do you see a connection here? And it's worth pointing out that Uttar Pradesh is India's most highly populated state where people are densely packed together, much more so than here in the US, and it's impossible to practice proper social COVID distancing. So what does all this tell us? That maybe, just maybe, there's something to the claims that ivermectin can and does work against the coronavirus. But no, instead, you have the high prophet of pharma, the good doctor, Anthony Fauci, condemning it, and even major news outlets running fake stories about how 70% of Mississippi's poison control calls are for people taking ivermectin. That story turned out to be totally false, never happened. And the AP had to find a way to take their massive jackbooted foot out of their mealy mouths and retract the story. Rather than saving lives, the political, medical, and media establishment are promoting false stories about a safe drug, claiming it will kill you, and instead promoting an untested, unproven drug that actually is killing young, healthy people with no underlying conditions, like 13-year-old Jacob Clinic of Michigan, who died three days after receiving the vaccine from fatal heart inflammation, or paralyzing others, like 12-year-old Maddie DeGaray, who almost died after receiving her second dose of the Pfizer vaccine and can no longer move her legs and is bound to a wheelchair. Or Jumai Nachi, an otherwise healthy woman who had no symptoms before getting vaccinated and who somehow came down with COVID immediately after getting the Pfizer vaccine and had to have both her legs and hands amputated. Why should we trust our health officials when they won't follow the science? Americans are being lied to. We're being told not to believe the facts that we can see with our own eyes, while Big Pharma makes tens of billions of dollars profiting on the death and suffering of this pandemic. The simple truth is that our nation could open up today, like in India, without any need for more lockdowns, without the need for mandatory injections, without mask mandates for our children in school. All we have to do is follow the science. For One American News, I'm Pearson Sharp. Did you get that? Surely you did. Ivermectin. India. India. <laughs> I think you'll agree that India, in comparison with the most developed countries on the planet, 
Indio wouldn't be in the top five or six or seven or maybe even the top ten. Maybe in the top ten, but India. And you know who else? What other country is in the similar, almost exact same condition and position on this as in India? We told you this a week and a half ago. Indonesia, same thing happened. When COVID-19 hit India and when COVID-19 hit Indonesia, both of the governments, both of those nations' governments, immediately launched a massive ivermectin program, and they put ivermectin in the hands of as many of their citizens, almost 100% of them, immediately at the very beginning of it. And so their citizens took this ivermectin and took it pro, uh, prophylactically, which is to prevent infection by COVID-19 and other viruses, and bacteria infections. And guess what? It worked. And it's worked here in the United States. Millions of Americans have been treated with ivermectin by doctors, remember now, in 2015. 2015, these healthcare experts like Fauci, they wouldn't even talk about this, but in 2015, the developers of ivermectin received the Nobel Prize for Medicine for Ivermectin because of its results used worldwide in humans. Not horses. Not barnyard animals. That's a talking point of the left and nothing else. I mean absolutely nothing else. No truth. No facts. It it works. So why would CNN and MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, why would each of these networks refuse to give any credence to the use of ivermectin? Follow the money. Follow the money. Big Pharma has made tens of billions of dollars through weaponizing a disease and hiding its effective treatment by drugs like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and Americans have died just because of them required listening at universities around the world this is TNN the Truth News Network Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust and if you ever want to see it again listen very carefully bring 649 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's come alone and bring your friends or family bring everyone get a Little Caesar's large thin crust pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni all at the nation's best price of just 649 pizza pizza top four national pizza chains extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax American Ladders and Scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding, rental, and setup. Installation of truck racks, Lear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Fall protection. Ladder and scaffold training and inspections. Little giant ladders. Custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Delivery everywhere, every day. American Ladders and Scaffolds. We take you higher. We take you higher. Let me 
me ask you this. Have you kept up with what happened in this Alec Baldwin film on the set that uh, they've been shooting at? It's somewhere in New Mexico when um, accidentally Alec Baldwin actually shot and killed a worker on the set using a prop, or at least he thought it was a prop gun and thought it wasn't even loaded. Thought if it was loaded, it would be loaded with blanks. It turned out it was loaded with live ammunition. One person was killed instantly. Another person was critically injured, but is now out of the hospital. But nevertheless, somebody died and died at the hands of gun violence. Well, maybe an accidental shooting wouldn't be called a gun violent action. But if you were at ABC News and if you were developing news stories tracking gun violence, Second Amendment, how could those Second Amendment people let guns be legally used to kill people? Well, killing somebody with a gun has never been legal. But that doesn't matter when you're a far-left media sycophant and an anti-constitutionalist, anti-First Amendment, anti-Second Amendment. You'll say anything to support a political cause. And that's exactly what ABC News is doing. They have a new gun violence tracker at ABC News, and it pads, we found out yesterday, it pads numbers of violent incident, officer-involved shootings and suicides as gun violence statistics. Did you get that? They pad the numbers of gun violence in their tracker by including officer-involved shootings and suicides, and they call that gun violence. So ABC is going to use it to keep mass shootings and other high-profile gun crimes right out in the forefront of American minds. This is all happening, remember, when the U.S. Supreme Court is going to consider legislation in this term having to do with the right for American citizens to bear arms, and it's regarding a New York state law. And this launch of the gun violence tracker, it coincides, it just so happens to, with the network's current miniseries, Rethinking Gun Violence. ABC News notes, we developed a gun violence tracker to help illustrate the daily toll of gun violence in America, and we're doing it in partnership with the independent nonprofit Gun Violence Archive because of the lack of up-to-date federal data. The gun violence tracker is being carried out in partnership with the Gun Violence Archive, which ABC News describes as, quote, an independent nonprofit that has been tracking gun-related incidents in the U.S. since 2013 on a near real-time basis through a variety of other sources, including law enforcement, media, and other government entities. So, as ABC News includes GVA, gun violence archive numbers in the gun violence tracker, it's important to note that those counts include officer-involved shootings on the job and defensive gun uses as gun violence. Here's what they say. Gun violence describes the results of all incidents of death or injury or threat with firearms without pejorative judgment within the definition. You know, whether or not it was actually violence. (laughs) That doesn't matter. We are calling it violence without pejorative judgment within the definition. 
Violence is defined rather without intent or consequence as a consideration. So in other words, we're calling it violence. That means it's murder just because it's used a gun in this act of quote-unquote violence, we're going to include it in our stats, and even if it wasn't in violence, we're going to say that it was. And we're not going to really explain that to people when we put it out there. They also point out their definition of gun violence is intended to be fully inclusionary of disparate elements of gun-related incidents, and that all types of shootings are included. Whether you know, on the job, whether they're accidental, children shooting themselves, murders, armed robberies, familicide, mass shootings, home invasions, drive-bys, and everything else. In other words, if somebody shoots a gun, we're going to include that in a stat, calling it gun violence. We're in the tank. We're anti-Second Amendment, and by jingos, we're going to convince the U.S. Supreme Court that this has got to stop. Forget about the fact that uh, law enforcement in these big blue mayored cities, law enforcement there are being told to not prosecute. Don't arrest them. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. And in these big cities, they don't get prosecuted. Figure that out. If there's no counter, if there's no price to pay for breaking criminal laws, who cares? Who cares? If I want to shoot somebody, I'm going to shoot somebody. It's okay. My city's not going to prosecute me. My state's not going to prosecute me. Why? Because of my skin color? Nah, because we're going to do away with this Second Amendment thing, so it's not going to be any big deal. The only people that will stop killing will be only the criminals that get caught. Very seldom is one of these violent actions taking place. Very seldom is it perpetrated by someone who owns a gun legally. And they're the ones that do the shooting. Now, a lot of legal guns are stolen, and those who steal them commit violent crimes. And when the gun tracking comes down, it turns out, yeah, it was a stolen gun. But once again, guns don't kill people. People kill people. What else is on your mind? <laughs> I know your mind is spinning almost all day long, every day. Mine is. Maybe I'm different. I don't know. My wife says I keep my nose up in the air looking and listening for news items. I, I, I'm i out there. I ferret out facts. I like to find out what's going on and to make sure I'm, I know what's going on. I don't like to be blindsided with anything. And folks, I don't care who you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how intuitive you are. You're not going to catch everything. None of us will. And so what we inadvertently do sometimes, what we consciously do sometimes, is we just rely on those who are within our circle of influence, our own family members, our friends, where we work, people we work with, 
news forecast and news stories and all those kinds of things. We, we either just automatically without even thinking about it or sometimes we pick and choose, but we rely on a lot of different sources for information and news with which we make decisions in our lives. We just got to be sure that when we do it, we're getting all the facts. So let's circle back. Let's do a Jen Psaki and circle back to the beginning of last year, say the end of the first quarter of 2020. Uh, that would be the end of March, the early part of April and May when Fauci was on national television every day, White House press briefing, White House coronavirus task force briefing, briefing Dr. Burks and President Biden, sometime our Surgeon General, of course, Dr. Anthony Fauci was there. And he was standing on a pedestal always, <laughs> principally because he's a little short guy. I'm, I'm joking. He is a little short guy. But he was always propped up just because he had been painted to all Americans as being the expert of all experts. He was a COVID guy. He was the one that would take us to the promised land, leading us, as did Moses have taken the children of Israel from Israel to the promised land. Fauci was going to take us from the COVID world to being COVID free. And so we hung on every word, everything he said. And of course, since then, we have discovered and discover a little more every day of how evil is Anthony Fauci and how much of the information he has given us has been not to help us avert dying from COVID-19, not to help us to avert a serious monetary and economic breakdown and collapse of the United States. All of those are happening only on a small scale. Hopefully, we've learned enough to avert the disaster. Fauci, in large part, has led us down this road and done so knowingly, which makes it even worse to know that a leader, I don't care who it is, He's not elected in any way, just happens to be the highest paid federal employee in the nation, makes more money than does the President of the United States. That's immaterial in this whole thing. Should he be making a dime of taxpayer money for the job that he does? My answer has been for the last year, no, he doesn't deserve it. We need to ask him to voluntarily step down or to fire him because much of what he has told us that have resulted in the actions that we and other people in positions of power around the nation have used to make determination that have literally caused millions of jobs to be lost, tens of thousands of small businesses to be closed forever, and look at the psychological and emotional havoc that has played out in the lives of our kids at school, trying to understand how to grasp and get a, uh, an understanding some type of comprehensive, realistic decision that they can make regarding coronavirus in their lives. Folks, they don't have the cognitive and reasoning abilities as do their adult parents and others in their lives. Young kids don't, but they're being forced to act like they're, you know, in their late teens and early 20s in the things that they do and the choices that they make. We're not letting kids be kids anymore. We're at the bequest of people like Anthony Fauci shoving horrible things down on our children across the nation. And it's being spurred on. Fauci throws it out there 
and then the big groups, the power groups, like labor unions, like teachers unions, they grab a hold of an opportunity to turn that into a weapon to use against Americans to seize even more and more power. How evil is Anthony Fauci? More and more every day we learn of his direct and indirect involvement in the, the, the creation of this whole thing and his complicity in the Wuhan Institute of Virology and gain-of-function research they did there. Basically, folks, what's at the way down bottom of the COVID thing is this was a virus that was found in nature, but a bunch of people, a bunch of political heavyweights, numerous countries got together. Anthony Fauci was the man on point, and they found ways to weaponize COVID-19 to use as a biological weapon, and it's been tested on Americans and also citizens of almost every country on Earth now to find out how serious it is and what government can do, how much power they can seize from people in their countries, even a country like the United States. We're not going to go down that road. You know all of that. What I want you to listen to is how evil is Dr. Anthony Fauci. And often, when we interact with somebody one-on-one, the first few times we interact with them, we don't really know who that person is. And many times we never know. But in some cases, we find out what we've been represented to be factual about this person, who they are, what they do, whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're productive or whether they're slugs, all of those kind of things, we do begin to find out as time rolls on and we learn more about those people. Listen to this new report about Dr. Fauci. Well, a nonprofit organization called the White Coat Waste Project has just found that a lab in Tunisia, North Africa, infected dozens of beagles with disease-causing parasites. This research was funded by Tony Fauci's NIH, which sent a $375,000 grant to the lab. Now, according to this nonprofit, the money went to, quote, drugging beagles, locking their heads in mesh cages filled with hungry sandflies so that the insects could eat them alive. That's disgusting, and the people who funded it should be submitted to that. See how they like it. By the way, the Washington Post today defended it. A man, a columnist there called Dana Milbank, who will defend literally anything. Apparently his lot came up, and it was his job to take one for the team. So he wrote a straight-faced piece saying complaining about this is somehow immoral. They'll defend anything. Kathy Guillermo is senior vice president at PETA. She joins us tonight. Kathy, thanks so much for coming on. Look, this is so offensive that it's hard even to talk about it on TV. But I want to leave open the possibility that maybe there's some reason that we had to torture dogs to death. Uh, give us your, your view. There's no reason for the disgrace that this experiment is. And unfortunately, it's just the tip of the iceberg of what's going on at NIH. NIH buys thousands of dogs. They subject them to experiments that only Freddy Krueger could think up. And all of this have to, has to change. You know, the last time I was on here with you, I said that NIH Director Francis Collins needs to go. And fortunately, yes. since then, he's announced his resignation. Now the rest of the NIH directors need to go, too. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, my, my sense from reading a lot about this is that many of these torture sessions, they're not even experiments, it's just torturing animals who, can't, who love us and can't help themselves, um, are, this is driven by funding. 
So there's money available, so the experiment takes place, but it doesn't necessarily help science or any people. It's just they need to spend the money. That's what we know, and they spend about $19 billion of it every year on animal experiments, even though we know that these experiments are not going to find cures and treatments for human beings. And if you look at their other laboratories, right inside NIH's laboratory in Maryland, experimenter Elizabeth Murray, as we exposed last year, brain damages monkeys and then tries to frighten them in tiny cages with plastic snakes and spiders. This kind of experimentation goes on all the time. If you look at the Primate Center at University of Washington, they're full body irradiating monkeys, destroying their immune system completely. And we're all paying for this. There's no reason to do it. It needs to stop. I feel, I, I feel sick just hearing these stories. Why would anybody, you see people reflexively defend this stuff. Oh, it's science, it's, it's, it's cruelty, it's not science. But why would anyone defend this? Defending the status quo seems to be the default position of some people, unfortunately. Yeah, that's but right. that's not how we progress as a society. And we have to get NIH to come to terms with this. And remember that their constituency is not the animal experimenters. NIH's constituency is the American public. Defending the status quo seems to be the default position for a lot of people. Boy, I don't think I could have put it better than that. Thank you for saying that. That's exactly right. Kathy Guillermo, Peter, thank you. Thank you. Hey. Wow. That, of course, was Tucker Carlson at Fox News that carried this story last night. It's hard to believe that this kind of stuff is actually allowed to be done. But even harder to believe is that even though it's allowed, somebody would pick it up and do it. Can you imagine putting a dog, I don't care if you like the dog or not, if you're a cat person, but taking a dog and locking them in a cage and putting them out in the sand in the desert so that flies can eat them alive. What good, what information could one possibly get from something like that. And folks, just because something's legal, just because you are told you can do something, that shouldn't be an automatic demand that you go ahead and do it. I mean, think about that. If people, if people just make a decision to do those kinds of things with no real cause in mind, other than, as they just said at the end of that soundbite, well, you know, the money's there. It's there for research, so, hey, we can just go ahead and do this. So just because we can, we're going to do it, not because it's the right thing to do. And I'm sorry if it's, if it's not okay, but I'm one of those people that believe we should do what we are supposed to do, not everything that we can do. There's a big difference. Big difference. Like, you know, Joe Biden. And yeah, we're piling up on the President of the United States. We got another Joe Bidenism we've got to face. The narrative of walls. You know, those evil things. I mean, look what Congress did. They had the unmitigated gall to approve $5 billion during the Trump administration, and they funded $5 billion for that evil, wicked southern ball, southern border wall building. Walls don't work, so they quit 
they violated federal law, did the Biden administration. A president has no power to not do what the U.S. Congress votes for the government to do and funds the government to do it, which that's what happened. And Biden said, I'm just not going to do it. Oh, that's impeachable. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Folks, walls do work. There are 40 nations, 40 major nations, most of them in Europe, that all have walls, and they work. Because they have walls, does that mean they're all racist? Does that mean they're automatically xenophobes? You don't build walls because you hate the people on the other side of the wall. You build walls because you love the people that live within the walls and you want to protect them. Walls do work. In fact, any fencing or fortification would be effective at this point at our southern border. I think every reasonable person will agree because our border is bleeding like crazy and it's better called an invasion. Our own Julio Rosas has been down there to document it. Consecutive months of 200,000-plus apprehensions at our border. Those are the ones that are caught, folks. A quarter of a million, if you throw in the probable gotaways, 50,000 more. 200,000-plus we caught. And maybe 50 or 60 or even 100,000 more. Who knows? That's who we know about. Now we're going to cancel all outstanding border wall contracts because Biden and his crew of uh, the incompetent clowns don't want to upset Representative Ocasio-Cortez and the squad. It's pathetic. Not only that, but the Department of Homeland Security is spending some serious money. This is hard to believe. They're fortifying Biden's beach house. That's right. In September, Homeland Security Department awarded a contract of $456,548 to a company named Turnstone Holdings LLC for the purchase and installation of security fencing at 32 Fairview, Rehoboth, Delaware, according to USAspending.gov an online database tracking federal government spending. Now that address, incidentally, is the beach house of Joe Biden. The contract started September 21st, expected to end December 31st. Construction of the fence is going to be done by the end of this year. The DHS is listed as the main awarding and funding office of the contract, while Secret Service is listed as the sub-agency. Additional information and details about the fence have not been publicly released. For security reasons, the Secret Service, they declined to discuss their protective means and methods when asked for comment. And DHS did not respond about the contract when they were asked. So, back to the question, do border walls work? (laughs) Do they or don't they? Liberals seem to think that a massive barrier wall or any fortification is useless against illegal aliens 
who have somehow acquired superpowers to walk through those walls, whereas they're perfectly fine to protect one's summer residence at U.S. taxpayer expenses. Walls can't stop people, but they can protect buildings. Does that make sense to you? Of course it doesn't. It's little more than additional, partisan, far-left drivel. And we've got more of that. (laughs) A bunch more of that right after this. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 6-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What did he say? Italian BMT $3.99. I call the EMT? Turkey breast $3.99. How much? $3.99. $3.99. Bingo! Time at participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar. Or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion of apply. Limited time offer. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell & Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell & Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men. Before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell & Cordell. A partner men can count on. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are sun-made's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and sun-made's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sun-made snacks. It's hard to hear the truth, but if the truth will set us free, we'd rather enjoy freedom. TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, Dan Newman. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about the Astros? What about the Astros? It's really difficult for me regarding the World Series because I was born in Houston. Well, actually, I was born in Pasadena, which is a southeast suburb of Houston. My early life... My family lived in Houston before we moved to South Louisiana when I was four. Been in Louisiana ever since. Um, But because of WTBS, you remember the Superstation? It was the very first Superstation cable television network. And in North Louisiana, folks, every cable system always, when TBS went national, they carried TBS, WTBS, and of course, What was WTBS? Owned by Ted Turner, who owned the Atlanta Braves. So we became Atlanta Braves fans. My mother, who, after I moved to North Louisiana, started my family, she remained in South Louisiana in Lafayette, and she became an Atlanta Braves fan. 
So the very first Major League Baseball game she ever went to, we took her to the Astrodome to see the Houston Astros host the Atlanta Braves. And I was able to get tickets right down on the wall on the third baseline. And of course, that was the visiting team dugout. And so we looked right into the faces of people like Tom Glavin, Dale Murphy, John Schmoltz, and all those famous other Braves. That was when they were so good. It was a thrill of a lifetime for her. So it's hard for me to pick between the Astros and the Braves. The Astros won last night, so, you know, they got one game up. I got to be honest with you. I didn't watch one pitch. I didn't even think about it. It had a lot going on, other things. I think there are a lot of Americans that before the pandemic were really into sports and maybe before all of the um, civil unrest, all of the screams and cries and the the real divisiveness over claims of racism across the board when it began to permeate professional sports. It started, I think, with the NFL. Uh, Colin Kaepernick back with the San Francisco 49ers in preseason now about five years ago. I forget what year it was, but I think it's either four or five years ago. And the really big divisiveness about, about race just amped up then. I think when that began to roll out, so many sports fans, especially regarding football and Major League Baseball and the NBA, the three big sports for most Americans, when the so-called American heroes that were better would never get embroiled in things that were so trivial as that. They would always hold themselves above the fray, whatever the fray happened to be. They began to one at a time be forced to step into the world of racism, critical race theory, whiteness, wokeness, and all of those culture wars that began to happen. And more and more Americans said, I am done with that. I don't need that. I don't want it. I'm not a racist. I don't want to be forced into targeting people around me and deciding that person's worth based upon their skin color or based upon what someone else tells me about a person that I don't know but thinks that I should adopt their hatred for that person just because they were told. And most Americans are running from that. The NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, even college sports are paying the price for that. Folks, college stadiums, Major League Baseball stadiums, NBA arenas, those for generations have been places to go just to enjoy sports entertainment. No politics allowed. And now politics has been shoved down the throats of benign people who are just happy to be Americans, love living in this country, love what it stands for, and because it's a place where athletes are able to participate without thought regarding any political perspective. They're killing that. Every sport at every level, down to, I mean, t-ball for fifth and uh, five and six-year-old kids 
is being politicized and weaponized based on race and culture. It's really sad that we have a generation of Americans that are growing up and are being forced to confront that. And there are so many other more important things to go along. I mean, folks, there are big people wars happening. It comes out yesterday. You know, it was just, what, three months ago we learned the name ISIS-K? It comes out yesterday from top Pentagon officials. They have confirmed at the Pentagon that ISIS-K, which is that new splinter group of the old ISIS, that ISIS-K almost certainly will have the capability to attack the United States. Not attack us anywhere else, but attack our homeland in just 6 to 12 months. That's coming from U.S. intelligence, who tell us that ISIS-K, a... Islamic State Group's Afghanistan affiliate could potentially have the ability to strike American targets in as little as six months, while Al-Qaeda can also increase its capabilities. The first guy to do this and tell us about it, Colin Call, who is under Secretary of Defense for Policy, told this to the Senate Armed Services Committee yesterday that neither terror group poses an imminent threat right now, but that they still must be taken seriously as that could change in a fairly short amount of time. He said this in his testimony. I think the intelligence community currently assesses that both ISIS-K and Al-Qaeda have the intent to conduct external operations, including against the U.S., but neither currently has the capability to do so. Kyle said, We could see ISIS-K generate that capability in somewhere between 6 or 12 months. I think the current assessment by the intelligence community is that Al-Qaeda would take a year or two to reconstitute that capability. He warned that the U.S. must remain vigilant against this possibility. So how could this understanding, how could this capability just all of a sudden pop up? I mean, we beat al-Qaeda in Iraq, didn't we? That's what we were told. We beat ISIS in Iraq. But now we're being told we're just months away from them becoming a major threat to the homeland. I mean, another Twin Towers kind of thing could happen, or maybe a military thing could happen. That's hard to believe. Where and how would they get the resources to mount such an attack. Well, when I read this story late last night, it just popped into my head. You would think they would have to amass some kind of real, real structurally massive amount of weapons to ever do anything like that. Well, how about some of these weapons? 2,000 armored vehicles, including Humvees and MRAPs, 75,989 total vehicles, including M35, Ford Rangers, four F-350s, vans, Toyota pickups, armored security vehicles, etc. 
or 45 UH-60 Blackhawk helicopters, 50 MD-530G Scout attack helicopters, a host, almost unnumbered host, of Scan Eagle military drones, the kind that shoot missiles, 30 military version of Cessna aircraft, 4 C-130 transports, 29 Brazilian-made A-29 Super Tucano ground attack aircraft, a bunch of heavy equipment including bulldozers, backhoes, dump trucks, excavators, 208 aircraft in total. And then you throw in at least three-quarters of a million small arms, you know, like M16s, M249s, SAWs, M24 sniper systems, 50 caliber rifles, 1,394 M203 grenade launchers, M134 minigun, 20-millimeter Gatling guns and ammunition, 61,000 M2 rounds, 20,000 grenades, an unnamed number of howitzers, mortars plus thousands of rounds, 162,000 pieces of encrypted military communications gear, 16,000 night vision goggles, the newest technology night vision scopes, thermal scopes and thermal mono googles, 10,000 air-to-ground rockets, 10,000 reconnaissance equipment, laser aiming units, explosive ordnance, C4, Simtex, C4 was what was used to kill those 13 military, American military members at the wall in Kabul. They used C4 to kill those 13 people. A bunch of detonators, shaped charges, thermite, incendiaries. 2,520 bombs. Administration encrypted cell phones and laptops, all of which are operational. Pallets that hold millions of dollars in U.S. currency. Millions of rounds of ammo included but not limited to 20,150,600 rounds of 7.62 millimeter weapons, 9 million rounds of 50 caliber ammunition, a large stockpile of plate carriers and body armor, U.S. military HIIDE for handheld interagency identity detection equipment biometrics. Folks, all of that information I just gave to you is stuff we're not supposed to have. According to Forbes, the Biden administration is not helping transparency by hiding key audit audits on Afghan military equipment. All of what I just gave to you. That is not in total, but it's a huge percentage of all of the stuff the Biden administration handed over in one day to the Taliban in Afghanistan. One day. One day we gave all of that to the Taliban. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure there is enough stuff in there, if nothing else. Well, how would they get to the United States? I mean, that would cost millions of dollars. Uh, Biden gave them pallets that contained millions of dollars of U.S. coal-hard cash. There is plenty enough weaponry and technology to destroy numerous U.S. cities that the Biden administration we know of gave this to the Taliban 
when on the Joe Biden orders we abandoned Bagram Airfield. It was all there. How should this normally have happened? How has it happened in the past? Well, first of all, very seldom does the U.S. just abandon and walk away from a conflict to which we're committed. And when we do, if it ever happens, we either take all of our stuff with us, taxpayer-funded stuff, you would think that would be a good idea because I'm pretty sure all of what I just gave to you, the stuff that was left, could have been repositioned elsewhere around the globe. Nah. Nah, we're not going to do that. That would have that would have meant we had to plan something, and we didn't plan anything with the Biden administration. We just fly by the seat of our pants. If it, feel good today, if it feels good today, we're going to do it today. If it doesn't, we're not. Who cares if it's the right thing? The Taliban, ISIS-K, Al-Qaeda, they have everything they need to obliterate New York City, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Shreveport, Louisiana, Houston, Texas, you, you name them. And oh, by the way, it's factual. It's certain that among all of those Afghanis that Joe Biden told our military to put on these transports? Oh, but we only put vetted Afghan people on those transports. That's a ball-faced lie. It's an absolute lie. Listen to this. An email written by one U.S. diplomat, and it was revealed yesterday by Senator Josh Hawley, Republican from Missouri. An email written by that diplomat in Afghanistan indicated there was no security vetting of those allowed to board U.S. military aircraft and evacuate Kabul as part of the Biden administration's non-combatant evacuation operation. That email was dated August 18th. It was sent from Gregory Floyd, who showed he was Consul General at the U.S. Embassy in Afghanistan in Kabul at the time. And here's what it said. It's addressed to TEAM, T-E-A-M. President Biden phoned Ambassador Wilson in Kabul with the following directive about who to clear to board evacuation flights. One. Anybody with a valid form of ID should be given permission to go on a plane if the person plausibly fails or falls into the categories we will evacuate U.S. citizens and legal permanent residents plus their immediate families, local embassy staff plus their immediate families, those entitled to a special immigrant visa, and Afghans at risk, too. Families, including women and children, should be allowed through and held to fill out planes. Three, total inflow to the U.S. must exceed the number of seats available. Err on the side of excess. The Biden guidance you just heard provides clear discretion and direction to fill seats and to provide special consideration for women and children 
when we have seats. This is Gregory Floyd saying this. And he said, I expect that C-17 flight volume will increase. Hawley was confronted, excuse me, he confronted top Pentagon policy official Colin Call, the guy that wrote this, on the email at a Senate Armed Services Committee yesterday where he was testifying. Hawley asked Call this, we now know that we've got major problems with vetting of the people who were brought to this country who were evacuated and brought here. This email seems to indicate the administration was saying, just fill up the planes. I mean, if they plausibly fall into a category, put them on a plane. Is that wrong? And Call responded, vetting was always foremost in our mind, but just keep in mind, Senator, the vetting wasn't happening at Kabul. Call claimed that the vetting was happening at the lily pads that evacuees were brought to before then moving on to the U.S. or other destinations, including Qatar, Kuwait, Bahrain, and Germany. He said teams of DHS, Border Patrol, and Department of Defense would collect biometric information like fingerprints, etc., biographical information, and then that information would be fed through the NCTC, the Customs and Border Patrol, and FBI databases, and only people who had cleared that vetting so that they didn't have contacts with the Taliban or the Hakinis or Al-Qaeda or ISIS were to be manifested and brought to the U.S. And people who required further processing were not brought to the U.S. And Josh Hawley asked, that's just screening. Was there actually any vetting done where you sit down and ask the people questions? Kyle said, for those evacuees with derogatory information, then follow-up interviews and additional vetting was done. However, Hawley said the DHS has told them there was never any vetting done anywhere, not at the lily pads or anywhere. Hawley also noted the vast majority of the 124,000 evacuees from Afghanistan were not Americans or SIV applicants. Those are those that worked for the U.S. during the war and were eligible to come to the U.S. and apply for citizenship. 116,700 who were not citizens, who were not SIVs, that we just don't know much about. Who were those people, Hawley asked him. Call claimed that the U.S. evacuated 2,496 SIV holders and 64,052 other Afghans at risk. He said some had worked for the U.S. agencies and media outlets and were at the behest of congressional offices, and that 44,874 were evacuated on non-U.S. aircraft by other folks, he said. It's a mishmash of a lot of different categories. About 84% of the people we brought out were Afghans at risk of various kinds, SIVs, P1S, P2S, or others, Call said. I listened to that testimony, and all I can tell you is this, this guy was dismissive. It was like, oh, it's no big deal. So let me just give you a scenario of a possibility. We're worried about, now we're being told that ISIS-K, uh, six to 12 months, they could attack us over here. (laughs) 
the whole theory of ever getting involved in any military places around the world has always been, let's take our foes on over there so that we don't end up seeing them over here again after 3,000 people died with the toppling of the World Trade Center towers in 2001. Don't want that to happen again. Certainly nothing worse than that to happen again. But I think it's it's very intellectual and very honest to create a possible scenario in which we already have ISIS-K terrorists walking among us here in the United States that were allowed to come in by a feckless State Department, a feckless Secretary of State, a feckless National Security Advisor, and a feckless President who really don't give a rip about the security of the American people because none of this would have been allowed to happen when we, and we were going to withdraw our military presence from Afghanistan, which I personally think we should have, but I think we should have left a couple of thousand people there, military members there, just to interact very daily with some intelligence sources and some people in the government in Afghanistan just to make sure they understood we're not going to allow this massive takeover happened by the Taliban. But by Biden just doing what he did, just uprooting one day and saying, hey, we're getting out of here. Forget about all the details. No planning, no preparation. We're going to leave billions, tens of billions of dollars of really nasty military hardware and equipment and bullets and guns and missiles and all that kind of stuff. We're going to leave them with the Taliban. And they're very, they're good people, they told us. You know, they're, they're communicating with us. They're negotiating with us. They're, they're making good sense, and we're, you know, we're going to work with them. Subsequently, we've gave them, we gave them millions of dollars in what we call humanitarian aid. After we gave them $82 billion worth of military hardware, that there are people over there, you can bet it, that are putting together, there's already got to be plans formulated how to use some or all of that stuff to kill Americans. And we have a guy in the White House that subsidized it. The President of the United States. Wow. We're not in a good situation, and there's a big chance it's going to get a lot worse right here domestically in the United States. And it's happening on our watch. American people and our leaders are doing nothing about it. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing. <sighs> ah! Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. 
Little Caesar's thin crust pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring 649 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's large thin crust pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni all at the nation's best price of just 649. Pizza pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Hey, it's Garrett. The Poland Spring brand wants to provide more than 100% natural spring water, and they want to make a difference. That's why they're rescuing millions of pounds of plastic and transforming them into new bottles that are 100% recycled. You can join them by pledging to recycle your bottle, and for each pledge, Poland Spring will donate safe, clean drinking water to local communities in need. Go to polandspring.com forward slash pledge to find out more. Select sizes only 20 up, 700 milliliter, 1 liter, and 1.5 liter size bottles. Folks, when we bring you this information from these stories, these bits and pieces of data and technology and testimony and a bunch of different things that we ferret out to bring to you, we're not doing it to scare you. We're doing it to let you know that this kind of stuff is out there, that it's real, and that all of this stuff that we're talking about today, it's very possible. In fact, it borders on being right on the line between possible and likely. You need to ask questions. Ask questions of your leaders in government. What's really going on? Is this true? What are we doing about it in preparation? What are our plans as a nation to make sure this doesn't happen? I'm sure you've kept up with uh, the bit of news that comes out of China because of the humanitarian crisis and the treatment of Chinese people, you know, like forced abortion and stuff like that. Aren't you thankful that that kind of thing would never happen here in our United States? I mean, we are the most humane country on planet Earth. You know, we're the ones that we fund through the highest paid federal employee on our payroll, Dr. Anthony Fauci. We fund the fact that they can lock dogs up out in the desert just to let flies eat their brains, literally eat their brains, and we watch it. We fund it. We're very humane. We would never force anybody to have an abortion, right? Like China. Last week, two Washington, D.C. police officers, Assistant Police Chief Chanel Dickerson and 24-year veteran Karen Aripko both revealed that early in their careers they were told to have an abortion or they would lose their jobs. Fearing for their careers, both women aborted their unborn babies. They expressed pain caused by the police department's past actions. Officer Arikpo lamented, It's so unfair, now I've never been able to have a kid. All these years I've tried, I've never been able to have a baby. I did this for a job. Assistant Police Chief Chanel Dickerson shared, My choice to have a baby was personal, and it should have been mine alone and not for an employer ultimatum. Like Eric Poe, Dickerson has never had any children. This shocking news, a city-sponsored police department issuing an ultimatum to two black women 
abort your unborn child, or see your career come to an end? It's gotten hardly any media attention anywhere. Perhaps because coerced abortion is far from an abnormal occurrence for women in America. Just weeks ago, 500 female athletes filed a brief in the much-anticipated Supreme Court case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, arguing that an unborn child's right to life is a serious threat to the hard-fought progress made in women's sports. They argued that female athletes could not be as successful as they are without abortion making it possible. The writers of the amicus brief referenced Sonia Richards-Ross, who's an Olympic track athlete, who, after revealing she'd had an abortion prior to competing, stated, most of the women I know in my sport have had at least one abortion. They forgot to mention that Richards-Ross also said, in that moment, it seemed like I had no choice at all, and went on to say, I made a decision to get an abortion that broke me. So aside from their mischaracterization of Sonia Richards-Ross as a pro-abortion advocate, the 500 women who submitted the brief failed to see that the belief that women must kill their kids, their unborn children, in order to succeed is something to fight, not something to celebrate. All across this nation, countless women fear that choosing life will condemn them to a lifetime of not being able to succeed. Planned Parenthood's Dobbs brief quoted an abortionist who said, I remember one person who came back to our health center a couple of years after her abortion just to tell me how her abortion had allowed her to graduate from college and fulfill her dreams to herself. A female track athlete at Clemson aborted her child after a Clemson administrator told her, just think about your options. You know coach isn't going to give you back your scholarship just like that. If she finds out and if you decide to keep the baby, that's gone. Examples just go on and on and on and on. The United States of America, folks. The United States of America. Forced abortion has been happening for decades and generations. It's been hidden. It's happening right around you today. Pray for that. Pray for those people. Pray for the truth. We've run out of time today. Thank you so much for joining us today. We, we covered a lot, but there's a lot, lot more. Make sure you check out the website today's story. It's a really big story about COVID world, and it has to do with some uh, truths that aren't being purveyed by the CDC about COVID-19 in comparison with influenza, you know, the flu, and how the CDC is hiding the fact kids are more likely to get and to die from influenza than they are from COVID. The CDC is not handling it that way. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great Wednesday. Until tomorrow, just know this, the best in your life is yet to come. Hey, it's good to be alive, isn't it? I've been grinding so long, been trying this shit for years. Uh-huh. And I got nothing to show, just climbing this rope right here. Right here.
nah, nah.